You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What is going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, the host of the Seeking Excellence podcast, and it is great to be with you today. I am very excited to share with you um, some thoughts that I've had recently. You know, I've had some really powerful and awesome experiences between the Napa conference. I had a great retreat in June um, at the University of Notre Dame through Hallow. And that was really awesome, too. And so I have a lot of different thoughts and things and just kind of recent spiritual experiences. And, you know, I feel like it's easy to get on here a lot of times and to rant about social issues or cultural issues or different topics. Um, And sometimes I feel like we don't always address some of these spiritual things enough. And so I want to talk about some of that today. We're going to do a little bit of reading from Scripture, a little bit of reading from... um, Will Many Be Saved by Ralph Martin. You've heard me reference that in recent podcasts here and there. Then if you follow me on Instagram, you know, like last week, a week and a half ago, kind of went on um, this debate. I actually read or did some polls on Instagram, and so I'll probably read some of the results of some of those, um, some of which were pretty surprising, all sur- surrounding the topic um, of people going to heaven. And so... I think it's a really interesting topic. It's one that I've always been uh, pretty intrigued by as far as, yeah, who goes to heaven? How do we get to heaven? Generally, just salvation in general, right? Like this is all pretty important stuff. I think you could pretty pretty easily argue that this is pretty pretty huge, right? It's what we're uh, largely here for. It's obviously not the entire point of what we do as Catholics, as Christians, but um, it's definitely worth thinking about and knowing a little bit about. So, um, we'll take a look at some of those things. And then, uh, I also want to talk about towards the end, we'll just kind of talk about some of the upcoming stuff with Seeking Excellence. Been very exciting. You know, I've taken, um, I haven't taken time off from recording, but I haven't posted a podcast. You know, I, I missed last week and, um, have been, uh, kind of sporadic recently, and so I'm kind of in a phase right now of batching. I usually batch a bunch of guests. And I've been super blessed, man, between Napa and then just kind of generally from social media. I've recently recorded with, at Napa, I got to record with Austin, the basic Catholic, 
Cecilia Pappas, um, now Cecilia Brennan, but she hasn't officially changed her name yet, so she's technically still Cecilia Pappas, who's the host of What in the Dang Heck. I got to record with Jacob Imam, who's an awesome dude, has an incredible, incredible conversion story, and um, yeah, was just recently on Pints with Aquinas debating Trent Horn about 401ks and investing, so we had a really interesting conversation about the morality of investing. And then I got to record with Dan Driver, who is the director of operations at um, Mass of the Ages, which is a documentary all around the um, traditional Latin Mass. I actually went to uh, Daily Mass, a low mass of traditional Latin Mass this morning, which is cool. And then I also got to record with, who else did I record with? Oh, I got to record with Andrea Thomas, who's an absolute rock star. She's one of the founders of, of the group, um, of, of the band, uh, the Vigil Project. And so that was absolutely amazing. And then I want to say there was one more that I recorded with there, but I can't remember who. No, that's it. That was five. Yeah, so I did all five of those. And then this past week, got to record with um, uh, Sophia Stoller, who's got an incredible conversion story. We really just kind of, you know, went through her journey to the church. Upcoming this week, I've got some really, really cool people. So this week, I'm going to be recording with Isabel Brown. So if you don't know her, she's a big social media personality. She works for Turning Point USA, does some great work in the conservative movement. I'm going to be recording with Paul J. Kim. Um, I booked with Claire, uh, who's the Catholic feminist on Instagram. She's really awesome. I booked with my friend uh, Bridget, who is managing your fertility on Instagram. We're going to be talking through some, uh, through some uh, NFP and, and things like that. And then who else have I scheduled with? Um, scheduled with my uh, lender. And so Ryan at, at Zenith Homes, he's going to be talking with us about some real estate stuff and investing and all types of financial things, um, buying houses and stuff like that. Um, so that'll be really great. Um, recording with Emily Crankfield finally this week. So really some fun. I mean, there's, there's a ton of other ones that, you know, I've talked with Sarah Swafford, with Andy Swafford. Um, so we're going to be recording here soon as well. Um, but yeah, just been cranking them out and scheduling a lot of great ones, um, that I'm really excited about. And so, uh, Dakota Lane, who's, you know, a big, huge fitness guy, he's a fitness coach. And so we'll be talking about some fitness stuff here soon. And yeah, just some rock stars, man. It's going to be pretty fun. I'm super excited. And so, um, yeah, so be on the lookout for that. I've got a great new setup. You can see here, I kind of, if you've ever watched us on YouTube, I know, um, we've been sporadic about posting on YouTube, but uh, going to start getting better at that. I've switched to using Riverside, and um, we're going to be uh, uh, using this new setup, especially when recording in person with people, which makes it a lot easier, a lot better. And so excited to record with Emily finally with a new setup. We used to have to crowd around my microphone, which was not a stellar experience. And so, um, so yeah, so that's kind of that. And then um, for today, let's just kind of get started with reading some scripture. So we're going to dive into... Uh, this was the reading, I, I don't know, I just tried to look it up on the USCCB website, and it was not the reading from Thursday, according to them, but I read at Mass on Thursday at the St. John Institute with Father Nathan Cromley, who was just on the podcast a couple months ago, and this was the reading that I read at Mass. <laughs> so I don't know where he got it from or why it was on that page or whatever, but I can't find it on the Mass readings, but I did just find it. It's from Ezekiel chapter 33. And I thought this was really, really powerful, especially with all that I've been kind of working through philosophically and 
in prayer and in study about this topic of will many people be saved? How many people go to heaven? What is our responsibility in evangelizing, right? And so, uh, so let's let's take a look at Isaiah, or not Isaiah, excuse me, um, Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 7. It says, you, son of man, I have appointed you as a sentinel or a watchman for the house of Israel. When you hear a word from my mouth, you must warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, you wicked man, you must die. And you do not speak up to warn the wicked about their ways. They shall die in their sins, but I will hold you responsible for their blood. If, however, you warn, you warn the wicked to turn from their ways, but they do not, then they shall die in their sins, but you shall save your life. Now, I thought that was really powerful, right? Because one of the things that I shared um, in my kind of rant on Instagram was the spiritual works of mercy, right? And I think one thing that's really interesting about the works of mercy is I, I think I've seen this, and I kind of talk about this when I kind of uh, juxtapose traditional Catholics and charismatic Catholics, um, or, you know, kind of conservative Catholics and liberal Catholics. It seems like we're all kind of drawn to either one of the corporal works of mercy or to the spiritual works of mercy. And so for those of you who don't know what those are, these are kind of pivotal things, right, um, that, that come from church teaching, right? And so I'm trying to learn here. Uh, I just Googled it to see if there's any, like, I don't know where these actually come from in church history, like when we kind of formed these works of mercy. But if you went to Catholic school, you definitely had these memorized at one point in your life. And so the corporal works of mercy are to feed the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty, to clothe the naked, to give shelter to the homeless, to visit the sick, to ransom the captive, and to bury the dead. Okay? Um, to ransom the captive could also be, is usually um, to visit the imprisoned um, in different translations. The spiritual works of mercy are to instruct the ignorant, to counsel the doubtful, to admonish sinners, to bear wrongs patiently, to forgive offenses willingly, to comfort the afflicted, and to pray for the living and the dead. Now, what I often argue, as I said before, is that we, we're often drawn to one or the other, right? Like the people who you see out there um, serving the homeless, right? A lot of people who are at like uh, homeless shelters or who have soup kitchens, right? A lot of the parishes, for example, I think of, I believe it's St. Francis of Assisi in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, where I'm from. They have a soup kitchen, which we volunteered at in high school and different times in our lives um, as kids. I love how I just often use the word we just like fr freely. Like, I, I don't know who the hell oftentimes when I say that, like, I'm like, <laughs> who is we? I'm always just like, who is we? Like, who, who is this we that I'm just, I don't know. But we, I guess, uh, used to volunteer there. And so, um, but I do know that like when you go to mass there, you're not going to get the most orthodox mass, right? So this is often the case. And you're not going to hear the hard parts of the gospel typically at parishes who have soup kitchens. But you do have to recognize that there's goodness in that, right? To feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, to shelter the homeless. These are the corporal works of mercy. These are good and valuable things. There's nothing that says, as far as I know in church teaching, that spiritual is superior to corporal or corporal is superior to spiritual. One thing uh, that came in um, my conversation with Dan Driver that I really love, that I think I want to like share as a, a theme for the podcast and for Seeking Excellence, 
is he said that every Catholic is called to be both charismatic and traditional. Every Catholic is called to be both charismatic and traditional. That, now, that is a, an awesome claim, and I think very true. And what I think that means, uh, or how I take that in regards to these works of mercy, is every Catholic is called to both the spiritual and the corporal works of mercy. Now, you might find one more common than the other, right? You might find um, you're not going to be able to knock out all 14 of these every day, right? Or, or even every week, probably. But I think that there must be some uh, intentionality in our lives when it comes to performing these works of mercy, right? And so, you know, to, to think about the fact that Many of us will look at a parish like St. Francis of Assisi in Harrisburg, um, many Franciscan parishes across the country that do a lot of great work with the homeless. They are super unorthodox and will say they never actually preach the gospel, they never get to the truth, which is a fair criticism, but we ought to still acknowledge the goodness of their ministry, right, and the work that they do that is good, because I think on the other side, you don't see, and I don't know, I don't know enough about like a lot of trad parishes or whatever, but some of these more orthodox parishes a lot of times don't have as much um, service orientation and things like that, right? Or even just as people, right? Like it's easy to to think that we've like outgrown that. We've outgrown service. You know, you go on like these mission trips and stuff when you're in high school and it's easy to criticize those groups. They can be charismatic. They have this praise and worship music every night, Um and there can be fair criticisms to that, but we still have to recognize that like they're doing good work. And while they might be missing half of the pie, we have to evaluate our own side and ourselves to say, what, what might I be missing in my own life? Right? So performing these works of mercy. Um, and then on the other side, you might be somebody who's very drawn to service, but maybe you never admonish sinners. Maybe you never instruct the ignorant. Maybe you, um, you know, fail to do some of these things to counsel the doubtful, like, uh, these are these are crucial as well, and we have to. We're called to all seven of those to bear wrongs patiently. You know that can that can apply to both sides, right? Um, you're orthodox and you're unorthodox to to be patient when uh, when wrong is done um, in your life, when to forgive uh, when people offend you easily, right? Willingly um, to comfort the afflicted. That can take so many means, right? Like. To, to discern what that means in our life is very difficult, but these are the things we ought to wrestle with. We should be struggling with this and grappling with these things every day to think about, okay, Lord, where are my opportunities to feed the hungry? Where are my opportunities to give drink to the thirsty? Where's my chances to shelter the homeless, right? We're not going to practically go out, especially if you have families, right? I'm not going to bring a homeless man to my home with my wife, um, but maybe it might turn into like, what is our hospitality like? Right? How intentional are we with hospitality? How free and, and generous are we with our food and hosting people and having people over for dinner, especially in regards to um, ways that we can uh, comfort the afflicted and we can uh, counsel the doubtful and instruct the ignorant. Maybe we can do that at the same time, right? You can have people over for dinner and give them drinks and um, even let people stay at your house and, and share the gospel with them and evangelize in that way. You can kind of get this little two for a little two for one special, you know what I'm saying? But we're called to think about this and to wrestle with these things. And the main message of today is that we're all called to evangelize. You know, I think oftentimes when we hear things like that reading from the book of Ezekiel, we think of that as like some other, right? We always think of like that as 
the priest's responsibility or Nathan's responsibility or, you know, the Catholic leaders and speakers, like that's their job, right, to be the ones who are giving the warning to others. But this is truly the call that is on each and every one of us, right? So as you read in that that reading or as you heard me read in that reading, um, that's powerful stuff, right, to think that uh, God is charging uh, us with warning people who we know are living in sin that if they don't change, that we're going to be responsible for their downfall, right? Like that it's partially on us if they don't change and we never warn them that they were in the wrong. Now that does not mean that we have to go around telling everybody that we know is doing something wrong that they're doing something wrong, right? Just like constantly condemning other people's actions. But it does mean we have to have a discerning and open heart to doing that. And that's what I think is is very challenging, right? Like how do you how do you discern when you have to speak up to your parent or your siblings or your cousins or your friends or your old friends or your spouse even, you know, like there's these different people in your life where you might have to discern when is the right time for me to step in to interject and say, hey, I don't think this is right. Um, or better yet, I know this is wrong. Uh, and I think you ought to stop. That brings me to what was going to be the third quote I was going to share from Will Many Be Saved by Ralph Martin. Um, you've probably seen me post about this book on Instagram if you follow me there. Um, here, I'll show you here in case you're watching the video. Um, but Will Many Be Saved by Ralph Martin? Absolute banger. It's super hot fire. Uh, but he's got this great quote from this theologian whose name was actually Cranfield. I have never seen anybody's name be so close to Crankfield. It's literally Crankfield without the K. Um, I had never heard anybody with the actual last name Cranfield. I've been called Cranfield many times because people uh, can't read well generally in the world. And so people will often call me Cranfield or Crayfield or weird things. It hasn't happened in a long time um, that my name's been mispronounced. But I feel like when I was younger, it happened pretty frequently. Maybe that was because uh, in the Northeast, people are dumber. I don't know. It's not me saying that. That's just me saying that that could possibly be it. Because that's where I feel like it happened the most most often. But Cranfield points out here um, that it actually, you know, so first, he's actually, Ralph Martin starts with St. Paul, who says that there's a further wickedness, um, not only in doing wickedness oneself, but also approving others who do it. So this goes even further than what, you know, we read about in the book of Ezekiel, where, you know, God charges Ezekiel and, and all of us to warn others who are in sin um, that, that God puts on our hearts to warn, right? But many people go even further than that, and this kind of has a twofold meaning. Some people go further than that, and they are actually applauding people who are sinning rather than correcting them or letting them know that they're in the wrong. And so those people exist, and so they're kind of double wrong because not only are they not condemning or, you know, correcting or admonishing, um, obviously with love and charity, um, but sharing the truth with those who they know are in the wrong, but they're actually applauding it. And so we have a responsibility not just to correct those who are doing the wrong, but also to correct those who are applauding evildoing, right? Applauding wrongdoing or applauding sin. You see this kind of a lot right now. I've been really intrigued with this, and, and Ben Shapiro has really covered it a lot lately with this whole situation with the monkeypox spread, right? And so uh, I think at least the numbers that Ben shared, and I didn't like fact check him on this, so you'd have to look it up yourself. 
um, because I'm not about to do it right now. But the monkeypox, they say spread somewhere between 90 and 95 percent between uh, homosexual acts, right? Like that's where it's kind of spreading. Very high concentration amongst homosexual men. And one thing that Ben points out that he thinks is just ridiculous that I definitely second as being pretty absurd is that when COVID was spreading, um, even though we didn't have great data that suggested that masks, 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 geez, masks helped. We had to wear masks everywhere and always. We had to mask our kids in schools. We had to shut down businesses. We couldn't go to church, right? They, they, they were willing to step in and, and offer all these suggestions and, and place all these mandates on us to stop the spread of COVID. But they, the, uh, you know, Xavier Becerra, uh, Javier Becerra, and, you know, the H- HHS, Health and Human Services, they refused to come out and say that, hey, like, maybe, like, gay orgies and stuff, like, maybe, like, take a hold on those. Maybe, like, press pause on that just for, like, a couple weeks, maybe. You know, like, less random sex with men and, and sex parties um, because that's where this really seems to be spreading. And so if you could, like, not do that for just a bit, um, they're, they're, like, unwilling to even say that, right? They won't suggest that, you know, sodomy uh, should take a take a pause because of the spread of this this virus or disease, whatever it would be classified as, which is really interesting. But we see this oftentimes in our world uh, where people are unwilling to condemn and, often, and, and frequently celebrating the sin of other people. And so I want to talk about that here. So he says, um, not only doing the wickedness oneself, but also approving others who do it. Some commentators find this additional statement of Paul harsh, but there is a clear echo of this teaching throughout Scripture that condemns those who encourage others in their wickedness. Now I want to read this quote from Cranfield. The quote says, The man who applauds and encourages others in doing what is wicked is, even if he never actually commits the same wicked deed himself, not only as guilty as those who do commit it, but very often more guilty than they. Those who condone and applaud the vicious actions of others are actually making a deliberate contribution to the setting up of a public opinion favorable to vice, and so to the corruption of an infinite number of other people. So, for example, to excuse or gloss over the use of torture by security forces or the cruel injustices of racial discrimination and oppression, while not being involved in them directly, is to help cloak monstrous evil with an appearance of respectability and so to contribute most effectively to its firmer enrichment, entrenchment, excuse me. Some random phone number keeps calling me. I don't know why. I don't know what the heck that's about. Um, but, yeah, so you can kind of see there what he's talking about, right? And you can think about that racial discrimination is a great example. And I've talked about this previously, especially when it comes to racism. And and I, I, this this is why, like, this 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 problem or this topic, like, literally has haunted me since I was a kid. Because when I was dealing with and kind of obsessed with racism when I was in middle school, early years of high school. I remember talking to certain friends of mine in grade school, especially, or middle school, especially, who would be like, yeah, my grandfather's racist, but he was just kind of raised during that time. And I, I heard this many times. And I'd just be like, that doesn't make any sense, right? I was always kind of philosophically minded, but I'm like, if, if something is wrong... Eventually, you have the human capacity because of your reason, because of being made in the image and likeness of God, you have the human capacity to like 
determine that it is wrong. There is no lifelong um, blanket excuse for being born in a certain time, right? Like that just doesn't make any sense. And so I'm like, you have to eventually take responsibility for your wrong beliefs, right? For your wrong um, condoning of racial behavior, of racist behavior. Um, and obviously that can be taken too far and often it is taken too far in today's circle. But when we're talking like in the early 2000s um, of people who legitimately were, were saying that black people are lesser than white people, right? And to say that they believe that because they were born in, you know, the 40s, like doesn't, just doesn't really fly, <laughs> you know? I'm like, how do you actually defend that? And, and many people do. And that's the dangerous part of this, right? Is that even though they may not have been the ones segregating schools or lynching black people, like to even condone that or even come close to condoning that is very dangerous for one's soul because you actually are creating the environment, the society and the culture that approves of these things. This is similar. So he's writing this many, many years ago, Cranfield, from my understanding, um, because, I mean, Will Many Be Saved was written, when did this even come out? This is from 2012. And so, I mean, yeah, so I think he's quoting people from um, a while before this. But to think about that in today, right, in, in regards to the monkeypox, right, because nobody can ever con condemn or say anything bad about um, homosexual acts or any sexual acts, right? Um, except for maybe married sex. It's like the only one that you can actually like openly criticize. Um, nobody can do that, right? And Javier Becerra is supposed to be a Catholic. Um, and, and it's like, I remember arguing with one of my high school friend's mothers on, on Facebook Messenger about abortion, talking about how it's judgmental and all these other things because I'm pro-life. And um, if her daughter wanted to get an abortion, she'd be right there holding her hand. And it's like, that's gravely sinful, it, like, that's extraordinarily sinful. Like, to think about this, guys. Think about this. I, I mean, I feel like I talk about this, uh, you know, every few months. But I'm, like, mind blown, especially now having gone through it. I, I was mind blown before I got married. But just witnessing Catholic marriages where you literally vow in front of God and man that you will raise your kids to be Catholic to the best of your ability, right? Within church teaching, you're going to form them and help them to, you're supposed to create an environment through your love and care and guidance and direction and example that makes it easy-ish, right? As easy as possible for them to become saints. Then when you get your child baptized, you do it all over again. You make the same promises that you're going to raise them in the faith and you're going to, you know, we use the candle. You're going to guard that flame, right? This white garment that your, your child gets baptized in, you're supposed to help them to keep that stainless, to think then going and becoming a parent and saying, um, I'm going to allow, uh, or not just allow, but like encourage and affirm and support my child in their decision to get an abortion um, is, I mean, it's just like unbelievably misguided. Um, but you don't have the ability, and what this book really argues in many points, and what I've argued and believed for a long time, is that you don't have the ability to claim ignorance in today's world. She's literally arguing against me with no openness as a Catholic. As two Catholics debating this, she's disagreeing openly with the church teaching. This, she's not just disagreeing with me. I'm just sharing what the church believes, right? I'm just sharing what the church has taught for 2,000 years on the topic. This isn't like my personal opinion that I just came up with. You know, like we're not arguing about whether or not the Broncos are going to win the Super Bowl this year. 
We're not arguing about, you know, who's the best golfer in the world, you know, based on opinion. Um, we're not arguing about what type of cereal is the best. Like, we're talking about truth, right? This is not opinion-based. This is truth-based. And so for you to, to be in that place, but then at some point, right, like, I'm willing to engage with these people and to disagree with them and try to show them, you know, the truth. And and I think it's really difficult because sometimes you just want to keep going, right? Like, you just you never want to stop. You want to endlessly just keep pushing and keep diving in and keep um, fighting with people. But eventually you have to you have to let it go, right? You have to let people do what they're gonna do. And uh, just accept that that not everybody's going to listen to what you have to say. And so there's a great quote in here. The other one I want to read is from St. John Chrysostom. I never can say his name well. I you know that I, I, tr- I have trouble speaking. I, I need like a speech coast or something. It's kind of funny that I do podcasts when I really can't uh, I don't I don't talk good, you know. Um, but St. John Chrysostom, there you go. If I say it slow, it's kind of easier. Uh, he's got a great quote about this. And he's not just talking about Catholics who don't accept the fullness of church teaching, but also embracing um, uh, non-believers, right? People who don't believe. And then this makes up the majority of the people I was raised around, right? My family and friends uh, who who just either don't believe in God, they don't practice their faith at all, um, but they kind of vaguely believe in God, but they don't go to church. There's no like actual active pursuit of a relationship with God. This makes up the majority of people I was raised around, neighborhood friends, school friends. Um, a lot of people, a lot of the families I was raised around, they went to mass when we were growing up, but then um, kind of stopped. I think a lot of the parents I was raised around don't go to mass anymore. I mean, I even worry and wonder about some of the ones who are more engaged and more involved in our parish. If they go to mass anymore, I really don't know. Um, but... There's a lot of like the dad standing in the back and the moms in the pews with the the kids and uh, my friends. They would always argue like to let's just stand in the back with dad and it, it's really sad. I got to really see and witness the impact of a lukewarm father, um, which is almost worse for them than me who had the dad who didn't go to church at all. You know, like I didn't really have that example at all, and so um, I I kind of it almost made it easier. I feel like to to seek out like what does it mean to be a Catholic man elsewhere as opposed to seeing like some you know two-star dad who stood in the back at mass every sunday not even every sunday like two to three sundays a month right (laughs) it's just no good fam and so saint john uh points out here he says quote one should not think that ignorance excuses the non-believer when you are ignorant about what can be easily known you have to suffer the penalty when we do all that is in our power in matters where we lack knowledge, God will give us his hand. But if we do not do what we can, we do not enjoy God's help either. So do not say, quote, how is it that God has neglected that sincere and honest pagan, end quote. You will find that he has not really been diligent in seeking the truth, since what concerns the truth is now clearer than the sun. St. John goes on to say, how shall they obtain pardon who, when they see the doctrine of truth spread before them, make no effort to come to know it? It is impossible that anyone who is vigilant in seeking the truth should be condemned by God. He says, quote, but how is it, you ask, that they have not believed? And St. John answers, it is because they did not wish to. And yet Christ did his part on their behalf. His passion bears witness to that. That, that one line in there, it is because they did not wish to, took me a long time to accept that as the reality. 
when I was in college, I really feel like I thought about this often because I was so sinful and struggled for so long, even once I made the commitment, right, to try to live a chaste life and try to live a true, honest, authentic Catholic life, uh, just continue to struggle with sin for years. And, you know, having nobody in my family or, like, close friend circle or anybody there that really, like, came to me and said, hey, you know, you should be trying to live your life differently. Hey, maybe maybe don't sin, like, every single opportunity that you have, right? Um, it was truly... I, I just felt so blessed in the way that it seemed like God relentlessly um, pursued me. And I would say, you know, in my prayer time, I would struggle with this, and I'd be like, Lord, why don't you pursue others the way that I feel like you've pursued me? And I would, you know, wonder this, and I would I would ask, similar to you hearing that quote, the, you know, St. John, I feel like is quoting me, when it says, you know, how, how could it be if you actually pursued them, Lord, that they do not believe? Because God would say to me in my prayer and in scripture and in other things, I, I, have, I have pursued them. I have offered them. They sat in the same classroom you sat in. They had the same opportunity. They went to the same school you did. They could go on the same retreats you went on. They did so many of the same things you did. And I would say, but Lord, you know, I'm like, you just so relentlessly pursued me. I'm like, I, could, I can't even imagine how I would have said no. Right? Like, that was kind of how I felt. It's just like, how could I possibly say no to what uh, God is, is offering to me? And it just, it just seemed like an impossible, it was just an impossible thing to imagine. But the Lord, you know, really put it on my heart and I think has, has instructed me through these other things to be like, wow, you know, God really does, does do his thing. God really does. Uh, pursue other people. God really does pursue each and every one of us. And it's just that certain people choose not to accept it. They choose not to believe because they do not wish to. Um, and that can be a really hard thing to accept. It can be a really hard thing to embrace. But one thing that he reiterates a lot, Ralph Martin, in this book is that we still have this responsibility, right? We still bear this weight and this responsibility to evangelize to share with other people, right? To, to try to be as engaged with them and to get them to understand and, and repent and believe in the gospel as best we can. And so I want to share, uh, you know, today's, today's filled with a lot of quotes, um, but I want to share with you another quote from uh, uh, the, what is it, second letter of St. Timothy uh, from St. Paul to Timothy, right? And so here we have, St. Paul talking with Timothy, and he says, this is one of my favorite quotes. This is one of the ones I, I memorized when I was in college. I could probably get about 80% of it now, but these are, the, these are the ones that just, when you read them, you know, and you're praying with this stuff, and it just kind of hits you, and you're just like, damn, that's fire, right? That's kind of how I felt with this. And so uh, in, the, in this letter, St. Paul says to Timothy, he says, I charge you in the presence of God, and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingly power, proclaim the word. 
Be persistent whether it's convenient or inconvenient. Convince, reprimand, encourage through all patience and teaching. Now, I love this part here. He says, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but following their own passions will accumulate for themselves teachers who will say what their itching ears want to hear. He says, but as for you, be self-controlled in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Now, one thing that's great about that, that was fun because my computer keeps dying and resetting. Um, <laughs> so it died halfway through. So luckily, uh, I did memorize that back in the day. But I love that part, you know, to be steady, uh, to be self-controlled in all circumstances, to uh, correct, rebuke, and encourage, you know, um, it, it's so powerful, whether it's convenient or inconvenient. We have to embrace that, right, guys? We have to understand that this is what God is calling us to because there's many people out there who are just um, being led astray. They're confused. They don't understand um, the truth. They haven't embraced the truth. And we have to continue to strive to live our best example, to be as on fire as we can, to, um, to convince them to repent of their sins, just as we all need to repent of our sins. And to embrace the truth, embrace the truth that is church teaching. Um, we, we owe it to, to others to have them uh, to do that, right? To, to be willing to, um, yeah, have those tough conversations, right? Whether it's convenient or inconvenient to preach the gospel. And so there's a number of ways that we can go about doing that. We're going to talk about that more in the coming weeks as well. Um, but the last one I want to share Last quote I want to share from the book um, is from early on in the book. It talks about uh, the salvation of those who um, leave the Catholic Church or refuse to enter it. And so it says, Those cannot be saved who, knowing that the Catholic Church was founded through Jesus Christ by God as something necessary, still refuse to enter it or to remain in it. So although in ways known to himself, God can lead those who, through no fault of their own, are ignorant of the gospel to that faith, which out, without which it is impossible to please him, the church, nevertheless, still has the obligation and also the sacred right to evangelize. And so today, as always, missionary activity retains its full force and necessity. And so we have this obligation, guys, because we recognize, you know, I mean, think of how powerful that, that first line is. And that's from, that's from like Vatican II documents, right? Like this is, that's like church teaching right there. So that's pretty powerful. That is not like just some person's opinion. Like that's from Vatican II documents. That's church teaching right there. And so with that, to think that those who know that the church was founded by Jesus Christ himself and that it is necessary for salvation refuse to enter it or to remain in it. There's a lot of people, Carl Rahner, Carl Rahner is one of them, theologians who, um, you know, we see it today with people like Father James Martin, who water down this teaching and really take it and run with it and open it up to um, the way Ralph Martin phrases it is to say that salvation of those who are not Christian, who are not Catholic, who are um, fallen away Catholics, whatever, that it's not just possible, but that it's probable, 
they 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 lie to people basically and spread this lie that I think is the most dangerous lie. You've probably heard me say that before. The most dangerous lie that exists in our world today is that everybody goes to heaven. Um, and why is that dangerous? Because if you believe, as you read in the screw tape letters, that every that that the devil is not real, that hell is not real, that it's empty, everybody goes to heaven, why change your life? Why repent and believe in the gospel? Why not live a selfish life that that is all about you and that rejects God and rejects his teaching? Why not do that? Obviously, the, the simple answer to why not do that is that it's a miserable life. Um, so the gospel and, and church teaching and um, the commandments of, of Jesus are not just for heaven, but also for the fullness of life here on earth. Um, but it, it still like lacks the weight to say, why not just kind of experiment with all these different things if everybody goes to heaven anyways, right? If the devil's not real. It's the devil's greatest trick. He's the great deceiver, right? The great liar. His greatest lie is to convince people that he is not real, that he does not exist. And so these theologians who take the, the teachings of Vatican II and open it up to not just say that it's possible for Protestants or possible for non-religious or non-Christians to be saved, um, but that they actually activate and say that, you know, go further to say that it's probable that these people will be saved. And um, what, what another good way that Ralph Martin puts that is that uh, being outside of the church is a condition, a possible condition of being saved, but it is not a cause of it, right? And so it doesn't make it likely that if you're outside of the church, you will be saved, or if you're outside of, you know, non-believer, or you're falling away or whatever, um, it means that it's still possible, right? And I think it's easiest to imagine those who are, you know, were greatly affected by negativity. You could think of like the abuse scandals and things like that. Um, either directly or indirectly uh, fell away from the church in that way. Like, it's easier to comprehend, like, okay, somebody who was raised Catholic but was abused as a child, like, it's easy to think of, like, the compassion and God's mercy working through that to still bring that person close to, you know, close to God's heart and, and home ultimately at the end of their life. But for those who just fall away because they don't like the church's teaching on abortion or same-sex marriage, and, and they they were raised going to Catholic schools and have been educated in the Catholic faith, it's pretty hard to imagine that they're going to heaven. Or that somebody who would die in that state, let's say, would go to heaven. I don't think we need to evaluate each person and be like, hey, you're going to hell. But if you, it's easier to imagine, to comprehend it, I think, to say, okay, if you persist in this wrongful belief, if you persist in, in teaching and sharing this, if you persist in condoning and approving of or even applauding sin in other people's lives, and then you died in that state, it seems unlikely that you would be going to heaven. And as, as we heard earlier, a lot of people think that it's harsh, right? People think that Paul's teaching, St. Paul's teaching on that is harsh. These words that I'm saying right now sound harsh to people. But, but what's, you know, there's that classic quote and, and story of some famous atheist. He was like in a band, or a, rock, a rock star or something like that. And he was like an avowed atheist. And he would get letters and cards and comments and stuff from Christians all the time asking him to convert and to repent and believe. And he was interviewed one time and they said, isn't that annoying? Don't you think it's annoying that people do that to you all the time? And he said, well, no. 
if if you believe that heaven and hell exists and you believe that I'm going to hell, like the loving thing for you to do is to tell me that, right? The loving thing to do would be to give me a warning. And that's what we're called to do, my friends, is we're called to to be a part of that. We're called to be a part of the redemption of other people, right? To set these, not just set these examples, but to also preach the gospel in 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 uh, in word as well, and to share this truth with other people. So I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you. You know, every time every time I hear a message like this, it happened to me just last week at Napa. I I feel like I have this um, yeah, just kind of this feeling in my heart, in my mind, that there's people who come to mind. And there's people who come to mind in kind of different categories. There's people who I just feel like I ought to pray for. There's people who I feel like I ought to fast for. And there's people for whom I feel like I need to engage and be proactive with. And there's a number of ways to do that. And I had really the main plan for this podcast was to talk about the practical ways we can go about doing that. But Turns out that's going to be the next podcast because we are just about to wrap up here, my friends. And so I want you to encourage, I want to encourage you though, to think about those people who came up for you while you were listening to this. Who are the people you need to pray for? Maybe you need to fast for, and who are the people that you can kind of reach out to and uh, set up time to have those conversations, to get lunch or to get coffee or to get a drink and just kind of talk about, you know, how's your relationship with God? That's a great opening line and can lead to a lot of great conversations. Where are you at in your faith? It doesn't have to be judgmental. It just opens the door for them to share with you. I wouldn't make that your first question, <laughs> but we'll talk about some of the practicals and ways that we can evangelize and we can go about having these conversations with people in the next solo episode. So my computer died, and so this did not totally get uploaded to YouTube or won't be able to because the video just cut out. So hopefully I still have what was recorded of it. Um, but we shall see. But if you're listening today, uh, know of my prayers for you. As for your prayers for me and for uh, the conversion of those who, you know, my friend's mom from high school and friends and family and just people that we all know who are who are far from the Lord and intentionally so. Um, because I think we have to root out this this lie from our culture and from the devil and from the world that everybody who dies goes to heaven because we really need to repent and get right here on earth so we can enjoy eternal life forever together with our Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's close in a quick prayer, and then I want you to go out and crush it and bring the Lord to the world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to, to learn more about you, about the way you set up the world, about your plan and path for salvation for us. Jesus, we know that you said that the path is narrow that leads to eternal life, and few find it. You also said that the, the path towards destruction is wide and that many take it. And Lord, we just pray for those who are far from you, those especially who do not have anybody to pray for them, we pray for those people who you've put on our heart, that you will reach out to them and continue to relentlessly pursue them. And Lord, we offer ourselves to you today as, as your tools for evangelization. 
Help us to be your hands, your feet, your mouth here on earth so that we can continue the great mission of the church, which is to make disciples of all nations. Help us to love those who are most difficult to love, to have the courage to discuss with those the faith, um, those people who are the most difficult to talk about it with, and help us to be radical examples of holiness here on earth. And we believe that you'll send your Holy Spirit down to renew the face of the earth and um, help us to just have a renewed love for the sacraments, knowing that they will fuel us for this journey. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Thomas More, pray for us. Our Lady of Lords, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, my friends, thank you so much. If this was useful for you today, I just ask you to share this with a friend of yours. Um, you know, I'm really trying to build up the momentum. We're coming up here hot on uh, two years of Seeking Excellence, which is pretty crazy, over 160 episodes. And as I said, we've got some fun stuff coming up. I've got some great guests lined up for you. Uh, we're going to have some good conversations. I'm going to be trying to set up some debates as well. So getting some people on that see things differently, either within the church or within the world. Um, to have some conversations like that. But we're going to be coming at you hot with some some great, well-rounded topics here, talking about everything from home buying to fitness to mental health stuff to feminism to um, all types of other things. And so if you have uh, suggested guests or topics that you'd like me to cover, please reach out to me on Instagram or you can email me at nathan at thosewhoseek.org. Um, and if you haven't and you've been listening for a while, I ask you to go and just leave us a review. If you could leave us a five-star review, on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. That would be huge. Um, it gives us a lot of love. And um, if you could also go and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, you know, we don't fundraise. I don't um, ask for money or anything like that. And uh, the only thing I ask for is if you do find it useful, that you share it either on social media or text it to a friend, um, and that you leave us a review. And so thank you to all of those who have done that for us so far. We appreciate your prayers as well. Know of our prayers for all of you who listen. And I um, hope this encourages you today to fight hard to be your best. God bless you.